We ask the question of why bad things happen to good people, and there's a verse, a pasuk in the Torah that gives us kind of a little perspective on what happens in the, for, in the face of tragedy. Sarah, our matriarch Sarah, she died when she was 127 years old. And the Pesach goes on to say that she died in Kiris Arba in Hebron, in the land of Canaan, in Israel. Abraham came to eulogize Sarah and to cry over Sarah. I think that the fact that the Torah tells us that, uh, that Avraham Avinu, Abraham, he cried and he eulogized Sarah, I think there's a very important lesson here. Now, how old was Sarah? She was 127 years old. Pretty full life. Not only that, Abraham is the paragon of philosophy, of an intellect. Abraham could approach the issue from an intellectual vantage point, clearly, if anyone could. Yet, in the face of tragedy, how do we cope when there's tragedy right before us? We have to first respond to it emotionally. Someone has a tragedy in their life. So this, it's normal to ask the question of why, why does such a thing happen? Why do bad things happen to good people? That's a good question. That's a fine question. But it's important to realize that it's really two different questions. In the height of, uh, of, of mourning, we don't say, oh, you should know the reason why Hashem did that. You know, that that's, not, that's not the appropriate response at that time. Avramavinu. None of us could say that we're more philosophically oriented than Avramavinu. Not only that, his tragedy, we'd say... Sarah lived a full life. She lived 127 years old. It's not, it's not like she died, you know, when she was 25. It's not so bad. Yes, it's bad, but it's not, not so bad. Still, says the Torah, Avram Avinu cried for her. He eulogized her. It's, a, it's okay to respond emotionally. So Avram Avinu was crying. If he could cry, we could cry when bad things happen to us. But what's interesting is that the, 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 the many Gemaras, there's many Gemaras that actually ask the philosophical question where we see in our world bad things happening to good people, and the question is why. The, and the Gemara says that when Moshe ascended to heaven to get the Torah, he found the Almighty writing a Sefer Torah, but making little crownlets on top of letters. Who's stopping you? The commentaries explain that what he's asking is, why do you need to make so much, write a Torah, but also write these, these nice pictures on top of the letters? So says the Almighty, there's going to be a person after many years whose name is Akiva ben Yosef, famous Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva is going to take every little jot and tittle on top of a letter and going to derive and deduce piles and piles of halachos from it. So, says the Almighty to Moshe, the reason why I'm making these crowns on top of the letters is because of Rabbi Akiva. Moshe is, of course, very impressed. And he says to the Almighty, Rebonu Shalom, Hari Ehuli, show him to me. So what happens? He says, turn around. And instantly, Moshe is teleported 1,500 years into the future, and he's sitting in the middle of Rabbi Tiva's lecture. Not only that, he's sitting at the end of eight rows, and he's listening to the lecture, and he doesn't understand what's going on. And he got a little upset. He got a little depressed. What's going on over here? What happened? In the middle of the lecture, they got to one matter, and the student said to him, Rebbe, Rebbe Tiva, tell us where is the source of this halacha? Menayin lacha, where do you know this from? Amr he says to them, He says it's halacha from, from, from Harsinai, and Miyad Nisyash Vadaito, Moshe Rabbeinu is placated and assuaged. He's happy. So what happened? Chaza, Rebbe came back to the Almighty, and he said to him, You have someone like Rabbi Tiva. You're giving the Torah via me? You should use Rabbi Tiva. He should be the one who should give Torah, not me. Rabbi Tiva is so much greater than me. So what does the Ramadi respond? 
Be quiet. Don't ask questions. This is how I think. This is how it came before my mind. This is the way I'm doing it. And don't interfere. This is the critical point. He says to the Almighty, Rebona Shalom, the master of the world, Hari Sani Torah, you showed me his Torah. You showed me the breadth of Rabbi Kiva's Torah. It's so, it's so vast and so exhaustive and so comprehensive that he's able to deduce laws out of, out of little crownlets on top of letters. And I don't even understand when I get there to his lecture. You showed me his Torah. Now show me his reward. Amar Lei, Amar Lo, he says to him, Chazor Lacharecha, turn around. And again, Moshe Rabbeinu is uh, teleported 1500 years in the future. And Rosh Hashoklin, Besara b'mekulin, there, Rabbi Kiva died a very, a very grisly death. They, they scraped off his skin, they flayed his skin, and they were weighing his flesh. And Moshe goes back to the Almighty. I'm not fond of, Ribbon Shalom, Zu Torah v'zu Schara. This is Torah, this is the requisite, the commensurate reward. Amar Leh, he gives him the same enigmatic answer, Shtok. Be quiet, don't ask questions, you don't understand, this is the way I think, not the way you think. So this is the first time where we see the question of someone who's good, by any account, Rabbi Kiva is one of the greatest people that have ever lived, when he, Moshe Rabbeinu said that he's worthy to give the Torah, and, that, and the Almighty says, yeah, maybe he was worthy to give the Torah. Rabbi Kiva, of course, is the foundation of Torah Shabbat Peh. All the halacha of Torah Shabbat Peh came through Rabbi Kiva and his five students, like the Gemara says. And he's dying such a terrible, horrible death. Right? The, the Romans are flaying his skin. They're weighing it as if he's a, 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 piece, of, a piece of meat. And Moshe Rabbeinu says, wait a minute. Zu Torah, Zu Schara, the Torah of Akiva. And this is how he, this is how he, he, he gets treated. This, this is how he gets rewarded. It seems to be punishment. It seems to be bad things happening to good people. And what does the Almighty's response? Stok, don't ask questions. Be quiet. Silence. This is the way I think. You'll never get it. So that's the first time the question's answered. So I think there's you know, a few interesting things that we can kind of take uh, at, first, at first analysis. So first of all, this Gemara is a very, very perplexing, but also very intriguing, very interesting Gemara. Like Moshe Rabbeinu's time traveling. This is a Gemara about time travel. Moshe Rabbeinu is able to sit and listen into the lecture of an event that happened 1,500 years in the past. That's, I think, fantastically interesting. How does that happen? But besides for that, like with regards to our question, Moshe says, he's so impressed with the Torah of Rabbi Tiv. And he says, you showed me his Torah, now show me his reward. So what does the Almighty show him? Does the Almighty show him his reward? Does the Almighty show Rabbi Tiv and Gan Eden or Olam Abba? No, the Almighty shows him being tortured and punished in a horrible, gruesome way. Understand, Moshe asked a question. Show me the Torah. You showed me his Torah, now show me his reward. And now instead of showing reward, he's shown punishment. So what's going on? Why is the Almighty showing him punishment when Moshe asks to see reward? That's question number one. Question number two, Moshe seems to be asking a very fair question. Zu Torah v'zu schara? This is the Torah and this is the reward? Bad things happen to good people? And what does the Almighty... It seems like it's a decent question. And the Almighty's response is, Shtok, don't ask questions, don't ask... Don't know, this is the way I think. It doesn't seem like it's a legitimate answer. Moshe is asking a very fair question. Why is the Almighty, at least initially, at first glance, not giving a fair answer? So I want to point out that the Ramban... Uh, in Shared Mul, he talks about Rabbi Kiva, and he says that Rabbi, the suffering of Rabbi Kiva is in something we cannot possibly understand. That's what he says. That's his position. It's inexplicable. There's no way for us to understand it. Now, what's interesting is that, well, Moshe Rabbeinu doesn't understand it. And if you look at sources number two and three, you'll see the Gemara in Sanhedrin tells that Adam was given a book by God. 
And the book included in it all the events and all the personalities of all future generations. And as he's perusing through the book, he gets to the generation of Rabbi Kiva. And the, and the Gemara says, Once he reached the, Gemara, the, the, the door, the generation of Rabbi Kiva, he was delighted with his Torah, but he was devastated, he was disappointed, he was saddened with his death. It seems like Adam, this is Adam, of course, pre-sin. Adam, before he sinned, was a complete intellect, was like Moshe Rabbeinu, right? They're supernatural. He might have been able to time travel as well, maybe. But he, even he didn't understand it. And that's the only thing that we're told that he didn't understand. So this seems to fit very nicely with the Ramban, that indeed, Rabbi Kiva's death and the, and the suffering of, of Tzadikim like Rabbi Kiva is something that's beyond us. We can never understand it. Maybe. That's what Ramban, Ramban said. And thirdly, uh, in the other source, source number four, the source number four tells of Rabbi Kiva's death itself. And we'll get to the story a little bit, but either way, the Gemara tells that, that the Romans brought him to kill him, and he was so delighted. And why was he so happy? He says, every day I said the prayer, I wanted to give up my life to God. And I always said, and I pined, and I yearned, and I hoped, when will this opportunity come for me and I can fulfill it? And finally, I can fulfill it, and he was so excited. But the, the epilogue of that story is that there was a bascal, there was a prophetic announcement, praise his Rabbi Kiva, that your, your neshama exited your body of all saying the Shema, fine. Amru malachai hasharis of Karish Baruch Hu. Zu Torah, zu schara. Says the malachai hasharis, the angels, they said to God, this is Torah, and this is reward, and this is the Gemara Brachas. But it uses this exact same words that the Gemara Menachas uses. The Ramban has really a lot to stand. It seems like the sources really support the Ramban's position that specifically the death of Rabbi Tiva is something that we can't understand. You know why? Because if the angels can't understand it, and and Moshe can't understand it, and Adam can't understand it, then maybe it is indeed beyond us. That's what the Ramban says. I want to put that aside, because I want to suggest an alternative understanding. Now, when we looked at the Gemara of Rabbi Tiva, of Moshe talking to the Almighty, we asked two questions. First question is, why is he not giving him a fair answer? Like, why is he telling him to be silent? You know, give him an answer. He asks a question, why, why is Rabbi Tiva suffering? Give him an answer. That seems to be fair. But another question we asked... And that is, Moshe asked, Hari Sani Torasa, you showed me his Torah, now show me his reward. And the Almighty, instead of showing reward, seemed to show punishment. That he was being flayed and being weighed, very horrible and brutally tortured by the Romans. Why is the Almighty not showing Moshe what he's asking to be shown? And the Ramban won't really help that. The Ramban only answers the second question. Moshe asks, why? why is he suffering? He's such a big tzaddik. And the man, he says, Stoke, don't ask questions, you can't possibly understand it. But the other question of why the Almighty doesn't show him the reward when Moshe asks to see the reward, that's not answered. So I want to maybe suggest a, a different understanding in this whole area. So I want to kind of give a little bit of a background to establish what the question really is. It's a common question to ask, right? It's been asked. Of course, Moshe asked it. We'll see Moshe asks it again. Why bad things happen to good people? Tzaddik viralo. Rabbi Tiva is a tzaddik. By any definition of a tzaddik, of course. And bad things happen to him in his life, and certainly in his death. That's a question that people have asked. But if you actually break down the question, you can realize that there's really three components to the question. There's three assumptions to the question. 
Right? Assumption number one is the fact that God has complete control over everything. If someone assumes that God doesn't have complete control, there's some element of randomness in the world, right? Things could happen to tzaditim without God preordaining it or allowing it to happen. It's not really a question. Some guy wrote a book uh, because his kid died. He wrote a book, Why Bad Things Happen to Real People. And that was his conclusion. Bad things happen to real people because it's random. You know, why the Holocaust happened? One of the local uh, rabbis here said in the conservative shul, why the Holocaust happened? Because God can't control it. Now, that to us is absolute heresy. That's absolute heresy because we know God's in control over everything. A person can't injure his, th- his finger below unless it was thus ordained from above. And certainly tzaddikim. So to say that the Holocaust happened because God doesn't have control... Well, if you take that position, then this question is not really a question, right? We don't take that position. We say God has control over everything, and therefore, and therefore bad things happen to good people must be allowed by God. That's, that's element number one. Element number two is that God has control over everything, but also God is good and fair and just. Because if God is not just, it's not fair and not good, then of course bad things can happen to good people and bad people doesn't matter, right? Because it's, it's not fair, right? We're assuming the matter is fair, and if he's fair, then the third part is, well, what do you mean? There's, um, there's tons of injustice in the world. Someone's righteous, and yet bad things happen to them. That, to us, seems like it's unjust. So these three elements, these three assumptions, are baked into the question of bad things happening to good people. On one hand, God is in control of everything. On, on the other hand, God is fair, God's good, God's just. And we see injustice in the world. Sadiqim. They should have good things happening to them. Yet bad things happening to him. It's injustice. What's going on? And so, so some people try to answer and say, well, God's under control. God's not good. To us, we have to find the answer. The Torah answer clearly is that God is good. But we assume, what we assume is injustice, it really is just. And the question is, how does that work? So what's interesting here is that Moshe asked God, Bad things happen to good people. And God says, seems to kind of blow him off and say, no, don't ask questions, be quiet, this is the way I think, not the way you think. But what's interesting is there's another Gemara that the Gemara in Brachos says that the Moshe asked three things from God. So we're going to do just the relevant parts. What were the three things that he asked from God and God granted them? So the, the, one of them is here, he asked that the Almighty will inform Moshe of the ways of God. Shinamar, what's the verse? Let me know your ways. He asked to know the ways of God. What does it mean, the ways of God? Says the Gemara. He said to God, Master of the world. How come there's sometimes a tzaddik and it's good for him? Good things happening to good people. And then we had started for Rallo, and there's a tzaddik that bad things are happening to, bad things happening to good people. And thirdly, Yesh Rasha Vatovlo, there's an evil person, a wicked person, and it's good for him. Good things happening to bad people. And lastly, Vyesh Rasha Viralo. So he's this is a much more sophisticated question. Not, not I'm saying this question is kind of the same, but it's a much more expanded question. Here he's asking not only why bad things are happening to good people, he's asking why good things are happening to bad people as well. And plus, like, how come there's this discrimination between some, some good people, good things happen to them, while other good people, bad things happen to them, and vice versa. Some e- evil and wicked people, bad things happen to them, well, that's okay. But then you see others, 
other evil people that do things happen to them. So what's going on? So the Almighty responds, Amarle, Tzadik Vitovlo. A tzaddik, it, then good, it's good for him, it's tzaddik drummer, it's a complete tzaddik. A tzaddik viralo, a tzaddik that bad things happen to them, tzaddik she'enu drummer, that's an incomplete tzaddik. Rasha vetovlo, a wicked person that, that's good for him, it's, not, it's an incomplete wicked person, he's not totally wicked. And lastly, Rasha viralo, someone who's wicked and bad things happen to them, that's a totally wicked person. Says the Almighty, you're right, there's four different kinds of people. What are the four kinds of people? It's, it's a complete tzaddik, an incomplete tzaddik, a complete Russia, and an incomplete Russia. Okay, so let, let, let's just analyze. So we see Moshe, Moshe had asked the question when he went up to heaven. He obviously wasn't, happening, he wasn't happy with the response, and then we asked a more, a more expanded version of the question a little later on. So I want to just point out that these Gemaras, by the way, are time-stamped. The Gemara Menachos that tells a Moshe Rabbeinu in heaven, when's that? What's the, the first words, when Moshe went up to heaven, that is... I guess by Shavuos, right? Moshe goes up to heaven, and uh, I guess he's there for 40 days, and over the course of those 40 days, he asks the question, you know, why are you, writing, why are you making the pictures of the crowns? And then he gets Caesar of Ativa, and the whole dialogue ensues. The Gemara Brachos, on source number five, that Gemara is later. That Gemara is after Moshe comes back in Yom Kippur, after the Almighty says, Salah di then the famous verse where the Almighty says, where he tells the Almighty, show me your ways, and I says, okay, you can't see my front, because then you'll die, but you see my back, and, and go in the cleft in the rock, and I'll pass before you. All that already happened later. So it's interesting to note that these episodes are possibly 90 days apart, a couple of months apart from each other, clearly. So it's interesting, Moshe asks first, why, why does Rabbi Kiva being punished? The Mighty says, Stoke, don't ask questions, and then he asks the same question in a more expanded for, for, uh, version, a couple of months later, I got a different answer. So I think the, the, a few questions we can kind of raise. First of all, Moshe asked the question already. He may have been unsatisfied with the response, but why, you know, why would he ask God the same question you know, when he asked the, the question prior? So yes, of course, he expanded the question, but he still included Tzadik Viralo. The question of bad things happening to good people, the question of why Robert Kiva had to suffer, that a question he asked before, now he's asking again. What's going on? And not only that, the Almighty gives him a different response. Why does Almighty say, Shtok, kachal machshol funny, don't ask questions? That seemed to have been the, the, the response he gave prior. Why would he give a different answer the second go-round? Third question. The, the, the verse says, Let me know your ways, the ways of God. Says the Gemara. What does that mean? The Gemara interprets that. The ways of God are bad things happen to good people, good things, bad, good things, bad people, etc., etc. Wait a minute. The ways of God, isn't that more expansive than just the question of bad things to good people, good things to bad people? The ways of God are, I don't know what the ways of God, but it's much, it seems like if I said, what, what are the ways of God? What does that include? You would say, oh, that includes a lot. It's a very exhaustive question. And Moshe, according to the Gemara, Moshe is only asking to know a very narrow perspective of why the Almighty treats righteous people and wicked people with either good or bad, the four kinds of things that he sees in the world of good people and bad people and bad things and good things. It seems like it's, show me the ways of God should be more inclusive. The last question is, now wait a minute, if someone is an incomplete tzaddik, well, they're still tzaddik, but bad things are happening to them. But they're still better off than someone who's an incomplete Russia, who's a Russia, not, not totally wicked, but still a Russia, still wicked. So why would the Russia have good things happening to them and the, and the tzaddik not a perfect tzaddik, but still a tzaddik, have bad things happen to them. So the Marsha explains, 
when a tzaddik who's not complete, bad things happen to them. Valkein Ralo, it's bad for him. Bad things happen to him. Why? Almiut Avanosov. Because a tzaddik who's incomplete, who's not perfect, well, what does that mean? He means he still has a few sins. Right? So therefore, bad things happen into the, to, in this world to pay, to rectify the miut, the, the small amount of sins that he has, in order that he should merit to Olam and the opposite. Birasha, when someone's a Russia, someone's, someone's wicked, but he's not totally wicked, he still has a few redeeming mitzvahs. It's tovlo b'olmaz, that's good for him in this world, so that he exhausts his schar, his reward in this world. He's a rush after all, but he still did a few mitzvahs. And therefore he has to get the reward for those mitzvahs, but let him get it in this world. But his full punishment for being wicked, that's all, uh, that's all uh, complete for Olam Abba. Now, what the Gemara is saying is like this, according to the Marsha, and that's, I think, Pasha Pshat. When someone does a mitzvah, they get schar. You get, you get reward. When someone does a sin, they get punishment. That's across the board. If someone's a tzaddik, does the Almighty say, I'm ignoring mitzvahs? I'm ignoring your misdeeds? I'm ignoring your sins? No. Even someone who's a tzaddik, they have to find a way to pay punishment for their sins. And even someone's a rasha, someone's wicked in aggregate, but they still have some mitzvahs, they have to get the reward for those mitzvahs. Says the Gemara. Reward and punishment are both amplified in Olam Abba. So, it's beneficial to not cash in on your reward in this world, rather to wait for Olam Abba, and therefore to get it when it's actually worth a lot more. It's like you don't want to, if you knew the stock was going up, you don't want to sell it now, right? It's better to wait and hold and wait to, and sell it when it appreciates. So you don't want to use up your reward here in this world and get paid in pesos when you can cash out in kilos of gold. Conversely, the punishment in Olam is much more severe. So it's better to have a little slap in the wrist here and not get a tremendously more stringent punishment in Olam Therefore, the Almighty says, if someone's a tzaddik, but they still have some sins, they're not complete tzaddik, they still have some sins, it's bad for them in this world, and they get rid of their punishment, but Olam is, is still perfect. The reward Olam is complete. Someone who's an incomplete Russia, he's not totally wicked, he still has some redeeming mitzvahs to them, okay, it's good for them in this world, they use up their, uh, they use up their reward in this world, and Olam get what they really deserve in the form of punishment. And by the way, the Gemara actually and source number seven spells this out very clearly. The Gemara says, El emunav ein avel, the Almighty is a God of faith who doesn't do anything wrong. What does that mean? Just like Rishayim, wicked people, are punished on every sin in Olam Abba, so too, we, uh, Tzadikim, have to be punished in this world for every even minor sin. If someone's a tzaddik, they still are not absolved from having to pay for their, for their sins. And conversely, just like, just like the reward is for tzaddikim and olma even in a small mitzvah, so too the reward for Rishon, for wicked people, is in olma in this world, even for a small mitzvah that they do.
So what's clear is, is that the only question is, where are the venues of reward and punishment? The tzaddikim, the venues of reward and punishment, are in Olam So whatever sins you have over here, you have, you have to pay for them over here, so it can be bad for you. As opposed to the Rishayim, their reward is over here, and their punishment is in Olam Okay, so they get the reward over here, and their punishment is complete in Olam Now, I think what's interesting here is that the Gemara establishes God's fair. If you do a mitzvah, you get reward. If you do a sin, you get punishment, no matter if you're tzaddik or rasha. What's interesting is that the venue of where you get the reward and the punishment, well, that depends if you're a tzaddik or a rasha. So you have a tzaddik on one hand, in one picture, one, one window, doing a mitzvah, and a rasha, a wicked person, in the other window, doing the same mitzvah. Both of them doing the same mitzvah. The tzaddik gets reward in Olam the Rasha gets reward in Olmazen, this world. So wait a minute, it's still unfair. It's still unfair. How is it fair? If the Almighty is fair, it's not an element of Ain Alva. The Almighty is fair. Okay. But reward in Olmaba is so much greater, right? Okay, if it's so much greater in Olmaba, it's not fair once again. I think the answer is like this. The answer is that the Tzaddik and the Rasha, they self selected where they want to receive the reward and where they want to receive their punishment. What, what does it mean to be a tzaddik? A tzaddik means someone who lives for Olam Abba. If someone is a tzaddik, by definition, they're saying, I want, I want my reward on Abba. If someone's a Russia, they're prioritizing this world over Olam Abba. So they're each opting in to the world that they want to get the reward in. So the money is indeed being fair because the money lets us choose where we want our reward. The tzaddik, by dint of being a tzaddik, by definition almost, is someone who chooses Olam Abba as the reward. That's where they get the reward. The, the, uh, the Russia. By, almost by definition, is someone who selects Olam this world, to get the reward. And therefore, that's where they get it. And by the way, look at the Mishnah. Very famous Mishnah. The Mishnah says that Kina is envy, Taiva is lust, and Kavod is pursuit of honor. They take someone out of the world. So typically we understand that if someone is, is lustful or envious or seeking honor, they can't live a normal life. That disrupts their world. I think what this really means is they lose olam haba. Someone who wants kavod, for example, someone who wants honor. What are they saying? They're saying, I did a mitzvah. Give me the honor, right? They're asking for the honor over here. They're self-selecting to get the reward for their good deeds here. So they lose the olam, they lose olam haba. Right? What is someone who has taiva? Someone who's saying, give me worldly pleasures. Oh, you want worldly pleasures? You get worldly pleasures. But you lose olam haba. You must see this olam and olam, you lose olam haba. And envy, by the way, envy is the same thing. When someone is envious of what someone else has in this world, then clearly they view this world as a final destination where it makes sense to be envious. Obviously, not just a process towards a greater world. You're envious, well, then you also lose your personal alma above because you're demonstrating by your actions that you value this world as an end unto itself, and you lose alma above because you'll get alma zeh. You'll get reward here, but, by, but you'll lose alma above as well. Okay, so I want to look at source number nine here. Source number nine is Rabbi Kiva himself connects all the dots for us. The story goes, Rabbi Kiva's Rebbe, his teacher, Rabbi Eliezer, was sick and dying. And the Talmidim, they all came to visit him. So what happens? Rabbi Eliezer is on his deathbed, and 
he's in tremendous agony, and he announces, this great fury in the world. And like Rashi says, I wrote this down over here, that Rabbi Rilesi was speaking about himself, that he was the recipient of God's fury, for God had increased his suffering. Rilesi was being tormented, was suffering terribly by uh, his illness. And he, was, he just announced it to his students. So all the students are there, and they see Rabbi Rilesi, the great, the great, their great teacher, all of them start crying, of course, with the exception of Rabbi Tiva. He starts laughing. And they say to him, like, this is inappropriate. Imagine the, the Rebbe writhing in agony, and suddenly one of the students starts laughing as if he saw the funniest joke in the world, right? What's going on? So they say to him, this is so inappropriate. Why are you, why are you laughing? He says to them, of course, why are you guys, why are you crying? They say to him, after Sefer Torah, we have a Sefer Torah, a, a, a veritable Torah scroll like Rabbi, like Rabbi Eliezer, and he's in pain. We shouldn't cry. That's precisely why I'm laughing. Every time I saw Rabbi, uh, our teacher, his wine doesn't ferment, and his flax doesn't get ruined, and his his oil doesn't get spoiled, and his, his honey doesn't get spoiled. Everything went for him in his, in his life perfectly. I saw Rabbi Lezer, I'm examining him his whole life, and he never suffered at all. Everything always went for him. Amarti, I said, Perhaps our teacher, he received all his reward in Olam Nothing bad ever, ever happened to him in this world. So he must have exhausted all his reward in this world. Now I see him in pain. I'm delighted and excited and joyous because now I know that his olam haba is, uh, is, is, is untainted. So Rabbi Lezer himself hears this. Amar lo, he said to him, Akiva, klum chisartim in the Torah kula? What sins did I do? You're, you're implying that I had to get punishment because of some sins, and you saw no punishment, and now you're happy because you finally see punishment in this world. Thus you know that there's no punishment in the next world. But what, what have you seen? So he says to him, You yourself taught us. There's nobody in the world who does good and doesn't sin. Right? Says Rashi, what does it mean? Good? Good is a tzaddik, and doesn't sin. So there isn't anyone that's a complete tzaddik. Thus, if, everyone, if people have it good in this world, the entirety of this world, it must be that there's punishment awaiting for them in Olam above. Says Rabbi Kiva, He's so joyous when he sees his Rebbe suffering because now he knows his, his portion in Olam Abba is preserved. Let's go back to Moshe. Right, Moshe asks God. He says, wow, Rebbe Tiva, look, what a scholar, right? Unbelievable. Show me his, show me his reward. You show me his Torah, now show me his reward. So what does he want to do? He shows him his suffering. Moshe doesn't get it. Moshe's like, wait a minute, I... I Zutor vizu schari doesn't at all understand. And we ask the question, legitimate question. Moshe asked to, show, to be shown reward. Instead, he's shown punishment. Right? He doesn't get it. Now we see Rabbi Kiva later on, 1500 years later, is answering the question himself. Moshe asked to be shown Rabbi Kiva's reward, and the Almighty shows him his reward. But Rabbi, Moshe is like, wait a minute, slow down. I see his skin being scraped off of him. Obviously, that's not reward. But the truth is, it really was the reward. Indeed, the Almighty, Moshe asked, show me the reward of Rabbi Kiva, and the Almighty showed him. 
Moshe didn't get it. Zutar v'zuschar. Why is it indeed his reward? Because Rebbe Kiva himself showed it to us that when his Rebbe was suffering, he was also laughing in joy and delight. Rebbe Kiva himself demonstrated that receiving punishment here guarantees and precludes someone from being punished from above. And indeed, that actually is tremendously wonderful. Rabbi Kiva himself understood. If you ask Rabbi Kiva, where was your reward? He, he'll, he, you know, he himself showed it to us. He was delighted when his Rebbe was suffering. Wouldn't he also be delighted when he was suffering as well for the same reasons? Of course. And Moshe doesn't get it. Moshe's like, wait a minute, is it like, where's the reward? So Amai says, oh, you don't get it, obviously. This is the way, this is the way I think you, you can possibly understand it. Now, what happens a few months later? A few months later, in the intervening period, right, Moshe becomes a greater person. Moshe, of course, he comes down from the mountain, his face is shining. Like we said previously, Moshe Rabbeinu is living in Olam Abba. Moshe Rabbeinu has removed himself of any vestiges of his goof, He's able now to, to really get into the sugya once more. He knows that previously asked the question, he didn't get a good answer. My, my says, you'll never get it. You don't understand the way I think. A few months later, right, what happens? Moshe Rabbeinu asks again. He says, I want to ask you a question. Tzadik Viralo. Same question I asked you prior. It's the same question. And you know what? They might have given him the same answer. But this time it made sense to him. Indeed, when Moshe asked the second time, he said, Tzadik Varalo, what's the deal? And I says, Tzadik She'enu Gomer. It's an incomplete Tzadik. What does it mean, Tzadik She'enu Gomer? Like the Gemara said earlier, Ain't Tzadik Ba'aretz Ashiyasatov Elechta. If Rebbe Akiva, if Rebbe Akiva, Rebbe Akiva says his whole life, he's, he's worried about his Rebbe. Obviously, Rebbe Akiva never entertained the option that his Rebbe is Tzadik Gomer. Whatever the, how is that possible? So what's Tzadik Gomer? That's a good question. But either way, the Gemara is clear. The Rebbe Kiva himself said that there's no Tzadik Gomer. Therefore, people, if a Tzadik is not suffering, we're very worried right. because what's going to be in Olam Abba? Indeed, what happens? Moshe Rabbeinu asks, show me his reward. And he showed him the reward and Rebbe didn't get it. The Gemara over there in Menachos already established a precedent there's something Rabbi Kiva understood, and Moshe did not understand. Clearly, maybe the Gemara is establishing Rabbi, there's, how this works is a good question. Maybe we don't understand it. Rabbi Kiva understood it. Moshe initially didn't understand it. Maybe later he did. This idea that, that suffering is good can only be if we look at Olam Abba as being everything and this world as being just a way to get there. I, I, I'm perhaps a weird muscle, we could say, that if we're like in this uh, terminal, we're trying to get to our destination... And then we take one of those little speedy things, those, what are they called? Walkways. The walkways. We take the walk and we get there fast. No one says, oh, I punished because I had spent the less time in the, in, the, uh, in the cylinder walking into my... No one says that. We're kind of happy. We got to our destination first. Of course, for us, it's hard to reorient ourselves to think that this world is just a prose that we're above. But if it really is, like our believed, and the whole goal is above, then it makes sense that... It's possible to argue that he could be delighted and it could be schar for him to get his punishment here. Now, we ask the question. Moshe asks the Almighty, he says, Let me know your ways, which seems to be a much more expansive question than just theodicy, why bad things happen to good people. But perhaps now, when Moshe Rabbeinu is trying to understand and unravel what the Almighty told him previously, that Hariyasani Torah, you show me his Torah, show me his schar, and he shows him punishment. He doesn't, Moshe doesn't get it. 
So obviously he realized that there's a whole world view that the Almighty has. This is the way the Almighty thinks. So the Almighty says, Moshe, wait a minute, this is the way you're thinking. I don't get it. Show me your ways. Right? says, oh, so why is that? He's really asking, he's asking the same question he asked prior. He didn't understand. Because it's the ways of God. Now he says, now I want to understand the ways of God. And now he gets it. Because indeed, to have the notion of Tzadik for Rallo and Tzadik and, Mo, and Rabbi Kiva being delighted and excited to get the punishment here, all that is based upon a much bigger, grander worldview that the Almighty has, that all of us, really, all that matter, matters. And here, indeed, it's just a means, not an end at all. And indeed, just to finalize this, this idea, the Gemara says in Shabbos, a very peculiar idea here, the Gemara says, aluvim ve'enum olvim, people that are shamed, this is in source number 10, so in the Hebrew side, People that are shamed but don't respond in kind. People that hear their shame and don't respond. And are happy with Yisurim. On those people, the verse tells us, Every time it says that, it's referring to Olam Abba. It says, those people have Olam Abba. I think we could say, if someone's happy with Yisurim, just, why would someone ever be happy with pain? Well, we know Rabbi Kiva was himself happy with pain, with suffering, with Yisurim. We know that Rabbi Eliezer, you know, in that episode, he was happy. We saw Rabbi Kiva himself, when he himself was being punished, he was happy. Why? Because he obviously had a worldview that looked at Olam as central in this world as being tertiary. By dint of that, if, you know, if this world is, is, is just ancillary, it's just a means, not an end, well, then that's how you get Olam Thus, if someone is happy with Yisurim, that demonstrates that they're living for Olam and thus they are a member of that select fraternity.